Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. Welcome to the 20th episode of Define the Relationship podcast. Welcome here. I'm Darlene. Here's Ted. I'm here. We're 20. <laughs> uh, we are going through a bit of a reflection on the last year. We've typically done this in January when we're gathering together. Just take a bit of time to uh, share some of our learnings and unlearnings and how in however in whichever way that makes sense to us. And so uh, I shared some of my reflections and today uh, we want to take some time to put Ted in the hot seat and let him share some of the things that are, that were percolating in the year 2020. Oh my goodness. I wanted to keep going. I think that's because it did sort of keep going, didn't it? <laughs> Yes. Uh, anyway. We're in 2021. Yeah. And we're looking back. I wrote it. I've written it, I think, two, two or three times. So it's been nice. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was, this seems like a very trivial thing, but I thought, mm, it's interesting. It's been, <clears throat> it's been 20 years now that we haven't been able to name the decade we're in, in a simple yeah. kind of way. And now we can say, yeah, we're in the twenties. Um, we last don't time ever we could say, say we're in the tens. No, we never said that. And what do you say when it was like the zeros? And uh, nobody really wants to talk about the 90s no. or the 80s. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> We're basically dressing like we dressed in the 80s. and I love it. I embrace it. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so I kind of veered off the track and talked in some different language how do you want to frame this conversation around some of the things that you reflected on from 2020? Yeah. I mean, I, I admit that when I reflect on 2020, the, um, the image that actually popped in my head, um, this is part of being in my brain is that I have uh, pop, um, pop culture things pop into my head from speaking of like the eighties or the nineties. Yeah. See, like, I dress like it and you just think like I it. I just think like it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just reminded of, um, uh, Saturday night live skit with David Spade and Helen Hunt where they were, uh, flight attendants on a very poor airline. And, uh, as, this. as people were leaving, bye-bye. Bye-bye to everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking, 2020, bye bye. -bye. <laughs> but um, okay. yeah, it was it was a it was a year that was oh it was such a significant year I think for for me and for for our community and our world. It, it was um, it's definitely um, we sometimes talk about how well you don't really know you're living history when you're in the midst of it, it's only kind of when you look back and say, well, that was really quite historical, but it, re it really does feel like we are, 
living in real time a uh, very significant part of history. And, uh, you know, just the other day we were watching some of the, um, yeah, just the really crazy stuff going on in uh, Washington, D.C., and we were streaming it, and we lost Internet. And my first response is, come on, this is like, we can't lose our Internet. Like, we're watching history unfold. And then after a while you realize that, well, there's a lot happening right now, and and at the same time, nothing is really happening. Like it's just sort of like things aren't really moving that fast. You you want them to move faster, so it's kind of feels like 2020 was a bit of that. Like so much was happening, and at the same time, it was like, oh, when's this year going to end? It just feels like we've been going on for at least a couple of years, not just one. So, so that's kind of where my sort of my at the surface those feelings are are right there. Um, so yeah. what have been some of the, I mean, you said signi- it's been a significant year for you. In what ways has it been significant for you? Well, I think when I, when I think about the year, I do think about it into kind of like four parts, like, like in quarters. Um, the first part of the year, um, I was ramping up and looking forward to, um, a school trip that we were going to be a part of to Greece and to Italy. And uh, we were going to spend some time in London with a friend that we met on the Camino. And, uh, you know, we were going to do some fun things that we've wanted to do for a long time. We wanted to see Hamilton, the musical, live. And we were going to see that in London. And I just had, a, I think, the first part of the year was just a lot of, you know, kind of tying up loose ends in our in our work and then getting excited about going and then in early march it started becoming a bit of a worry and an anxiety that like well was our trip going to go as planned and um like every day for a two-week period leading up to the middle of march it was like well the plan has changed the plan has changed we're still going ahead the plan has changed until finally, I think it was on my birthday, March 16th, it was, became pretty apparent that we were not going anywhere. <laughs> I'd like to think of those few months or maybe even the, the year as a whole as the unraveling of Ted's dreams yeah. as a seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I am guilty as charged. I am an Enneagram seven um, and Enneagram sevens are very, spend a lot of energy thinking about what's next. Um, we get bored very easily. And uh, we like to have a good time, whatever that means for us. Um, and um, so, so yeah, so the first quarter was sort of like anticipation and then um, a lot of disappointment, mm-hmm. a lot of disappointment. And... Part of the part of that lead up too. I mean, there was a fair amount of anxiety because some very like you mentioned this in your sharing that you know some really significant people in our life were at the end of their lives. Like we knew that the end was was coming, and we didn't know when. And so we had some anxiety about being away mm-hmm. with this being the case. Was it going to be okay? And so it wasn't all just anticipation. There was some <clears throat> some. Uh, some real anxiety about, you know, how, how is this going to go forward? 
So that was the first part. And then I'd say as we moved into the second part, for me, this was especially the end of March and early April were super hard because um, I really needed a break. I, I, it became really obvious once the break wasn't going to happen, I really needed a break. And that feeling of just being empty as a person, empty of energy, was really coinciding with questions of, okay, what are we going to do now and, and how do we make the best of it? And it was sort of like I was at my, at my lowest in my tank and it felt like we were facing leadership challenges, work challenges, church challenges that were off the charts. Up. Yeah. And where I thought I was going to be in another part of the world, not having to deal with anything, I was forced to deal with stuff. And so I was um, pretty unhappy, pretty, pretty down. And um, so I'd say that second quarter was really how to, how to just get, find my bearings, find my grounding. And, um, and so, and then I'd say that the last half of the year has just been sort of figuring out how we're going to keep moving. And I feel like, um, when I reflect on my, my first reflection is I go back to, I actually, um, this morning went and looked at the outline. I don't often do this, but I looked at an outline of a teach that we did in the beginning of March, March 8th. Um, it's easy for me to remember where I was at during March 8th. And we were, we were in our living lightly series, just starting Lent. And I was talking about the move from discontentment to joy or discontentment to gratitude. Mm. And, uh, um, really ironic that like a week after that, I would have probably, my gratitude bucket would have been had a, f- a few major holes in it. <clears throat> There's a hole in my bucket, Liza. Um, and, uh, but now when I think, Back nine months later, I feel like, oh, there was so much that came true about what I was sharing on that day. And I think the image that 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 really became real for me was um, I was sharing some of David. <clears throat> Boy, I've just got a very, very rough, hairy voice today. That's usually me. <laughs> I need a haircut and my voice needs a shave. Um, anyway. Um, I was sharing some of the thinking of David Steindl Rast, who is a is a um, a monk, a priest, and does a lot of teaching on gratitude. And he used this image of um, a bowl that gets filled up with water, and um, our experience of contentment, and then the joy that can flow out of contentment, comes when we allow that jar and i guess the jar or the the Bull. container is you could say it's our lives it's it's us and when when we allow it to be filled up and it overflows there there's energy there there's something bubbling up it there's there's a, a joy that's there but we have a tendency that once our jar our bowl fills up is that we just go ser- searching for a larger bowl or a larger jar and um, this, we can see it in our consumer mentality, but we also do it experiences. I mean, this is like, this is like right 
square in the crosshair is for a, an Enneagram 7 because um, you get bored with what is and you want to move on to something more exciting. And now when I look back in a year where in a way what this year has done for me is it's given me a much smaller jar to live with. My life has gotten much smaller. Our, you talked about our relationships. Our, our connections have shrunk because of just the logistics of connecting with people. Um, what we can do, what we have, it's all gotten smaller. And yet over the year, I feel like my sense of contentment and that small life being filled up with things that are worthwhile had really increased. And it's really the simple stuff. Like it's the simple opportunity to bake bread every week and, um, and get, you know, get better at doing that and hone that and uh, doing projects around the house and just focusing on the space that we're in. And um, when we had opportunities to connect as a church community outside to, you know, um, shorter services, shorter contacts, but, you know, meaningful, significant stuff. And so when I look back, I think, boy, I mean, I think I've really unlearned um, that um, contentment and and feeling like I have enough doesn't come from expanding all the time and and getting bigger and and uh, you know looking for more. Sometimes expansion and feelings of experiences of enough just come from actually being like you talked about being present to where you are and enjoying the present, enjoying the simple things. So, um, and, you know, a, a big, big deal for me is to enjoy life, to really feel like, okay, I, I, I want to feel like life is good. And despite a really, really difficult year, I can honestly say I had a, I had a good year, you know. Um, I don't regret I don't regret my, my year. I found peace and I found joy and I found contentment. Um, yeah. So there is a real sense of connection, I think, when I think about you to the, um, that you were, that first quarter was really rough for sure. Um, but over the the process that you became connected, deeply connected to bread, to, you know, the work with your hands in doing stuff in the basement and the connections with people. That was, I love that image of the bowl too, because like, I, I feel like I watched it kind of overflow in you. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it seems like such a simple almost, you know, you know, why, why would being content with the size of the bull be so important? But, um, I think that one of the, the, one of the things that's very hard for us to learn is that, um, there's something about simple mm -hmm. that is really good for us as human beings. And, 
we live in a time where obviously life is not very simple, but just in some of the day-to-day things, we, we, um, we think that having options is really a really good thing. And maybe one of the big learnings about contentment in a year like this is when your options shrink, mm-hmm. your capacity to make the most of the options is increased. There's, um, there's more room for creativity. There's more room for sort of saying, um, I don't know, like, I don't know if this is a learning or not, but maybe I'm like, I, I have, when I think about growing up and especially as a teenager, you, you start to develop, you start to develop, um, these defense mechanisms, um, to sort of survive in the world. And you're trying to, you're trying to feel out like, okay, you know, when I'm this way, I get, um, I get positive feedback when I'm this way, I get negative feedback. And so you start to kind of shape yourself. This is, I guess, your persona and, and you develop sort of, this is what works for me and this is what doesn't work for me. And what comes with that, I think, are self, um, self-identities where you kind of say like, well, I don't do that, I do this. I can't do that, I can do this. And I feel like when one's options, when you have options to choose to do what you think you can do and not do what you, can, you don't think you can do, um, you never grow. You never, you never expand your capacity. But when your options get limited, then you start th- saying like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Why can't I do this? Why do I think I can't do this? And, um, you know, so like, it's like a simple thing, but I used to be, a, I think I was afraid of dough. <laughs> like I, whenever there was a dough to be made, I would just feel like, I don't like, do dough. I don't do dough. This is, you know, <laughs> and like, it just felt like, you know, oh, it's kind of dirty and grimy and like, I don't know what to do with this. And like, yeah, I don't know how to knead and whatever, you know, it just kind of like you get this thing and then. I look back now and I feel like, oh, you know, I just love working with dough. It is just so, it's so tactile and it's so, you know, you're grounded and it's such a simple thing. It's like water and flour and salt and you make this amazing bread that sometimes makes you sick, but uh, (laughs) it's still amazing bread. And... uh, I don't know. I, I feel like in the last few years, ever since we walked the Camino de Santiago, that this sense of how a, a limited life can actually really expand one's limits mm-hmm. in the in the right ways. So I don't know if if other people are experiencing that. I mean, it's it it feels a little bit you feel a little sheepish sharing stuff like that because um, I wonder if. Not everybody has has had that opportunity in this time to really allow that to happen for whatever reason. And it's yeah. easy to think that we're all, you know, this has been all such a good thing for everybody. But the reality is, is that this has been very, very debilitating for people and stressful for people economically, things like that. And I don't want to downplay those things because they're they're real. And one of the real downsides of this year is we've become disconnected from other people's struggle and we only can think about i mean this is i mean this is maybe a second thing i i would reflect on um 
but maybe I won't, I won't move on unless you think we should move on. Yeah, no, I'd love for you to move on. I think your point at the end now is... You really need to move on. (laughs) Yeah, you need to move on. Um, uh, No, but your point at the end, I think, is to say, this is your experience. This is not to to invalidate other people's experience. And it's also not to romanticize your experience. Like, there was lots of kicking and screaming. There was some struggle in there. Um, But there's been some fruit out of it, too. Yeah. So... Go ahead. Next point. Next point. So, yeah. So, I mean, it kind of, I think, um, segues from this and talking about different people's experience. I think one of the things that was revealed this year that maybe I, maybe I was aware of this, but it, it felt like it, it was being amplified every day and still continues to be amplified. And to me, I feel like it, I'm going to say like it, it, I, um, our self-centeredness was really revealed in this past year. Yours or ours? Yeah. I... <laughs> Let's speak about my self-centeredness, which I believe <laughs> taps into a universal experience of self-centeredness in our world. Um, at times, there's been, there's been many times of sort of looking at how people have responded and reacted and... Um, risen to the challenge of the past year. There's lots of those examples. But I feel like one of the residues of the year has been um, just our our incapacity as humans to really think outside of our own experiences. And so when I shared the first part, I recognized that. That's my own experience and my own my own focus, centering my own experience. But um, often this year, I've been frustrated and angry and disappointed by um, people's and my own, let's be honest, I mean, I'm there too, just wanting to think about things from my own perspective and not think about the collective. And I think that's really harmed you know, it's it's harmed our local community. It's harmed our our country. It's harmed our whole globe global community because um, we've had to do hard things as a society, and at times we are very quick to find ways to um, to try to get out of doing the hard things because we believe our situation, our circumstances, is much different than everybody else's. It's kind of like it comes back to that. That law of attribution, um, I, think it's a, I think it's one of the cognitive biases that we tend to see other people's um, faults as character defects and our own, our own faults as being circumstantial. Like, if mm-hmm. you were in my shoes, you'd realize why I'm this way and why I need to do what I need to do. But you, you need to do better. And so maybe even by me talking about it, I'm, I'm exposing my own attribution bias. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one, like, that one's a... I don't know what I've learned from that one yet. I just feel like that's been um, what's the saying that crisis doesn't create character; it exposes character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is something that's maybe been exposed in our in our communities. Mm. 
Like, yeah, in a disturbing. Yeah. So is it have? Hmm. I mean, I do have a pop culture reference for this. If we can get to that eventually, but okay, um, I want to hear that. Obviously, uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I you always do. have to hear all the <laughs> pop culture references. Pop culture. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, I think I was going to ask whether just really honestly, has it disturbed you more in yourself or in others? Yeah. I mean, I, I hope I'm self-aware enough to realize that often the things that bubble up in us as frustration and anger about what's outside of ourselves. Often the reason why we are responding so strongly is because these are the very things inside of ourselves that we are ashamed of or the things that we don't, we don't, uh, yeah. I mean, so in a way we empathize with what's happening out there, but we are angered by it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, this is the impulse to scapegoat, right? Yeah. The impulse yeah. is to blame the other um, and to, you know. But I think, yeah, I, I. so maybe the learning for me, maybe the learning here is like, um, and this, this goes to the pop culture reference, that in there's a scene um, early on um, in Orange is the New Black where one of the inmates is in the office of one of the prison counselors. And the prison counselor is a young, energetic. Um, there's actually kind of some ironies here, racial ironies in the scene, because the, because the counselor is black and the, um, the woman being counseled is white. And she's trying to convince her to become part of a, an acting group because it would be really good for her and there'd be something positive. So they're... The, the counselor is really wanting to be about bringing some positive change into the prison setting. And, um, and then she says at one point when she's not getting anywhere with the, with the, the inmate, she says like, like I'm one of the good guys. I'm, I'm here. I'm trying to help. And then the inmate says, Oh yeah, we all think we're the good guys. Mm-hmm. We all think we're one of the good guys. And I thought that was just so poignant because I think that's kind of the experience and energy that we have in the pandemic is that when, whenever there's a rule um, that we have to deal with, and often it meant restrictions and a hard thing, there's something inside of ourselves that says, yeah, but, you know, but I'm, I'm more or less safe the way I'm operating right now. And so for me to bend that restriction, you know, it's going to be okay, you know, because I'm not one of those people who doesn't think this is real. or I'm not one of those people who just ignores the restrictions. I'm one of the good guys. And now I'm going to proceed to adapt because I feel something is important to me. And, uh, and I feel like we're all thinking that way. And I think we all do to some extent, then that's really hard on the collective society because you have, we're all just in it for what, how we see it. And so, I I mean, that's a judge, that's a self judgment. 
and it's a frustration because, you know, I think it's a reality. I don't know. It's not really a rant, but that's a that's definitely been a frustration. That how do we uh, how do we do that dance in our communities? You know. Yeah. How to now? I mean, this is maybe a topic for a whole nother podcast, but I think it's um, an understatement to say that it has been so tricky to navigate this personally in our families, in our church Mm -hmm. communities, in our friendship groups, Mm -hmm. people see things differently. And we may talk about how we've been disconnected, but one of the realities of this year is actually how connected we are in ways that we don't aren't don't necessarily like so um how i what i do we sometimes have this illusion that what i do just is just what i do and it doesn't affect other people and and this um circumstance has uh, has really brought to bear the connection um and both connect and disconnect at the, in the same moment. Yeah. And I think that's been really hard to know how to navigate. Yeah. And we, it's okay to have your, you know, to feel like we, we need to own our, our perspectives. This is how we feel. And this is the choices that we're going to make and to, to deal with the frustration that other people are making other choices and have other values and they are believe in them. And how do we, how do we now stay connected when we have this disconnect? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, I, the scape, the scapegoating impulse is so strong that we can, we can do the wrestle in ourselves and, and make decisions and, what we think are good decisions and we can own our decisions and then we can, um, soon as we observe others doing it differently, we just flip to oh, frustration and like I name kinda, calling like, name calling. And then, <laughs> I mean, it's, and then it really, you know, helps us, helps our scapegoating when we see very public figures making very poor decisions around travel, around the holidays and meeting and stuff. And then we can just make it all about them. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, they're visible and we, and, uh, um, and like I said to our kids, you know, well, we have our self-righteousness to keep us warm, you know, <laughs> kind of like you, it, you know, and it's, I'm just being honest that like, this is, these are the dynamics of something like this, where we are being asked to sacrifice for others. And, um, this goes against the stream that we're swimming in and we're all good guys we all think we're good guys i mean that's the like yeah right well let's not linger there too long i think we've lingered there enough (laughs) what uh is there anything else that uh Yeah, I mean, maybe this is something that in responding to your sharing that that came up, I thought that connected to your to your sharing that um, I think was was a significant thing is when we were um, going through Advent and specifically we were working through a 
a series with Scott the Painter's Honest Advent, and mm. I just thought he had this, um, you know, sometimes the power of a really good question can really stick with you. And I think the best question, you know, I think his question that he raised um, at a number of different points is one of the better questions and really fits in the time that we're living in. And that is, um, ask yourself, what is the conversation that I can have with myself right now that I couldn't have if I wasn't in the situation that I'm in? Mm, yeah, that was. And it really connects to what you said about being present and, um, acknowledging your red dot where you find yourself right now and being honest about it. Can you, can you just repeat that question again? Yeah. I, I, I'm just paraphrasing, I think, but he says like, what is the conversation? And like, who is the conversation partner? It could be, what's the conversation you can have right now? Your family that you couldn't have if you weren't in the situation that you're in and think about it of your relationship with yourself. What's the conversation that you can have right now because of the situation you're in and then put it into the God relationship context. What's the conversation you can have with God about where you find yourself right now that you mm. couldn't have if you weren't in this position? Yeah. The question assumes that we are quick to want to get out of our situations, mm -hmm. find the way out, find the path. And um, I think what we can learn in a year like this is that often the conversation that we have in the midst of what we're dealing with can be a beautiful conversation. Good things can come out of it. We can become better people. We might pursue paths that we didn't think we would pursue because we went through this, you know? So. Yeah. So true. So, I mean, that may be a challenge to everybody. Like, what is there, what's the conversation you can have right now with yourself, with others, or with God that you couldn't have if you weren't where you are right now? I think what that brings, the question that it raises for me, um, I, I like the question on a personal basis about what's the conversation I can have with myself when it comes to other people. I think one of the discernment pieces that and this is maybe a conversation for another podcast as well is when I feel like so often we're talking about, well, I don't, that conversation's never going to happen with those friends mm. or with that family member or because mm. it's just not worth it. It's not going to change anything. And I'm curious to, I'm always curious as well to, to figure out some kind of formula for discerning when a conversation is important and when a conversation is maybe, maybe it's not the time for it. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's just like a whole, that's just an issue yeah. that I'm riffing off of, but it sounds like it was a beautifully hard year, a brutal year. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think that we have the privilege of being able to kind of process this and put it out there, but I want to say to everybody that's listening that, um, I believe that you all have 
like a fascinating story of this year. And I would wish that everyone would have the opportunity to kind of mine the, the gifts and the, the challenges of it. And I'd love to hear other people's stories. I, so thanks for listening to our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you all have significant things to, to share and to give wisdom to others as well. So I hope maybe, maybe this will inspire other of our listeners to do some reflecting as well. Mm-hmm. You had a smile on your face. Did you want to say something? I'm always got a smile on my face. <laughs> All right. Here's to 2021 and to being attentive to, to what is unfolding before us right now that we can um, experience peace and love to you all. See you next time. Peace, everybody. Hey, this is episode 20. Really? Yep. Wow. Not quite 220, but... <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. Well, that would be a good name for a podcast. The Darkast. The <laughs> Darkast. <laughs> Here from the back house. <laughs> Yeah, I just picked up my daughter from a puppy party and <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, I did some surfing and yeah, later we're going to, we're going to have uh, another puppy party. I love the puppy party. You're like, that's the best idea for a birthday party, a puppy party. Oh, wow. Do you remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> I love Rob Bell. Yeah.